When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome to Buckeye Talk. It's the Tuesday Daily Pod. I'm Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com along with Stephen Means. Doug Maurice on furlough this week. He'll be back with us next week yelling at us, telling us how stupid we are. Um, it'll be just like the good old days, good old times. Stephen, what are you most looking forward to about a week of podcasts without Doug? Honestly, I'm looking forward to everybody being at the same volume, you know, and not having to mess with my volume every two seconds because I can go from a normal size to basically having to have it on mute and still be able to hear everybody easily. You know, so we've done it before. I thought it went pretty successful without Doug when we were all at the same volume at a reasonable pace where no one was going deaf. So let's do it again. We just got to do it four more times. I was processing the podcast last night, and if you watch the audio uh, waves um, as they show up on the recording, it kind of um, varies back and forth between, like, Roger Bannister, the day he ran the under four minute mile for the first time. So like just the premium peak of human condition to like a barely faint whisper, like you're 140 years old and you've had 12 strokes and there's no reason for you to still be alive. That's kind of what the variance is between the volume of, of the, between essentially you and Doug. And then I'm somewhere in the middle usually. So maybe that'll be a little bit more normalized this week. Um, the thing that I'm most looking forward or I'm going to miss the most about Doug not being here to do the pod is that Doug won't be here to do the pod. I have to do all the processing of the pod (laughs) this week. So that's the thing that I miss the most. And I look forward to him coming back and taking that. Although I think I'm actually going to be doing it a little bit more in the future because Doug has some projects um, he's hoping to be working on. So that might be something that through the rest of the summer, you guys get uh, me a little bit more on the intro than you do Doug. Um, We've had a, an off-season kind of bereft of any kind of college football news other than this sort of speculative news about COVID-19 and, and, and the shutdown and what teams are doing during the shutdown and what it means. You're not getting, we're not getting a lot of, like, roster updates about either Ohio State football or other teams. And um, either 
fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you feel about it, or I suppose uh, Clemson had a, 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 a I'm going to say an unfortunate roster update today. Uh, Justin Ross out for the season. And I think it's, it's terrible whenever guys uh, can't play. And especially in a way, if it's because of something that isn't like injury related necessarily, Steve, can you kind of fill people in on what we just found this out, like within the last half hour, or, or at least the news kind of started trickling out on social media from the Clemson beat. Cause I think they were talking to Dabo today, but um, what is the situation with Justin Ross? And now why is this someone that um, Ohio state now doesn't have to uh, think about as far as being in this potential rematch equation, if they can get into uh, the playoff again against Clemson? Yeah, so apparently he missed the last two weeks of spring football, if that's what you want to call, you know, 12 days of spring football the last two weeks or whatever. The last few weeks of workouts, winter workouts is probably what it was, going going into spring football because he was having some stingers in his neck and whatnot. And he was supposed, I guess he was scheduled to have surgery anyway in June, but an x-ray revealed that it was a little worse than they, you know, maybe anticipated being a contingual fusion in his neck and spine, which is going to—it's part of—it was something he was born with, and so because of that, he's going to miss the entire 2020 season. Which means, if we're going to—if we're going to be honest here, his college football career is probably over because, as Dabo did too in that same press conference, he's going to have a decision to make in January when he's eligible for the NFL draft, and he was projected to be a first-round pick in that draft. So, I don't see a, a, a route where if he's able to completely bounce back from this and be healthy. I don't know if he ever plays another snap again in a Clemson Tiger uniform. Right. And, and you hope that this is something they can fix and something where yeah. you can come back and, and get an NFL career going. Um, it's scary when you start talking about um, the spine and uh, you know, I was never, I've, I've skated through my uh, almost 42 years and never had any kind of serious injury. I played really? sports terribly when I was younger, um, mostly baseball, as you guys probably expect. Uh, I did play some football. But I never had a significant injury. I've never broken a bone. I've never really um, sprained fractures, any of those things. Like I've never had them. Um, so I, it's, it, I, 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 my perspective is a little bit skewed there. But when, when you start talking about – I hear the words like congenital spinal fusion – that's a that's a whole nother level to me as opposed to oh he tore his ACL even because we've seen so many guys they go in they stitch him up mm-hmm. sometimes they're back before the end of the season if this kind of time frame and he gets to, to pretty easily go in and resume his career and have a, a strong career a lot of times these kind of things though where you start talking about well one wrong hit and you don't get to walk again um, very different scenario especially when it's not something that happened on a football field is why you were injured in the first place. This is something that you've already been dealing with. And because of something else that happened, you know, you fell into under and kind of found out that, oh, this has been a thing for a while now. It's just whatever bump you had activated it. And so I, this is, you know, no longer just a football situation for him. So hopefully, you know, he's able to recover fully and continue to have a football career. The really good thing here is that sometimes injuries like this aren't discovered until the worst case scenario happens. Yeah. Um, you, we've seen this before with guys who had heart conditions and they collapse and they don't get up. And uh, I'm glad that they were able to catch this as early as they did. And hopefully Justin Ross gets to come back and have a strong athletic career, even if it uh, doesn't get to be in college anymore. But um, I know that's not Ohio state, but we talk about Clemson a lot on this podcast and that was a, a an update that just happened. So you, you all be hearing this Tuesday morning after we post it, but we thought that was something worth talking about just because that's a, that's a opponent that is so present in Ohio State's consciousness. And, and moving from that, 
we're going to go into uh, a topic that our texters already received. If you're not already a text subscriber, uh, look for the links in our Twitter bios or text to 614-350-3315. You can uh, just sign up that way and send us a text. We'll get you going. It's a two-week free trial, $3.99 a month after that. We think it's it's really worth it, especially with the daily podcast. We, we make sure everyone's involved with those, but you're also getting the you know quick – uh, news and analysis, uh, breaking news and our analysis of those things as they happen around the program. You're getting now uh, daily recruiting updates from Stephen and, and kind of the group that we have that, that's building there. Um, so please sign up if you haven't already because we think it, it really adds a lot of value. And um, it, it frankly, it helps us do our job going into uh, the fall when um, hopefully we're getting to make some road trips and things like that. That, that still remains to be seen. But uh, today's question was it's another scheduling question. Basically, if you had to, if Ohio State had to schedule a non-conference home and home with a top 15 program, who would you pick and why would you pick them? Why, why would it benefit Ohio State to pick Team X to be on their schedule? And, and the home and home part is important um, because I feel like where the game is and where Ohio State is then getting some exposure is really important. It's not just the, necessarily the, the stature of the team they're playing, but where in the country are they getting to go? At least that was something that I took into consideration for my answer. Um, Stephen, I guess before we talk about who we picked, just kind of more broadly, um, when you hear a question like that, what kind of what are the um, factors that come into your mind as you're trying to pick what team Ohio State should go up against? So here are my rules for mine. One, I was Xing off any SEC school. I just threw that out the book because I just think there's really only one SEC school when you think about Ohio State fans that they would want to see that with, and it's Alabama. And I just don't think that's the best idea in mind to be playing a school a school that you might end up seeing down the road in the college football playoff. So there's no need to schedule home to home because you guys are going to play on a neutral site You usually if you're competing for a national championship. So that Xed off things. But then I also looked at, you know, teams that you – know, for a conversation we talked about earlier – Teams that could be Big Ten teams that probably should be Big Ten teams because, you know, similar environment, similar, you know, programs. And if they were a Big Ten team, you know, could they, I guess, raise the level of the conference or give Ohio State a worthy opponent within the conference? I'm kind of leading down one of the schools I, I considered when I was, you know, having this conversation. But then also recruiting. If it's a home and home, this is an opportunity for Ohio State to, to use their their away game that year to you know get into some areas that maybe they've already started knocking on the door and now they can go full fledged because now they're gonna there's gonna be a whole week where they're gonna be preparing to play a team that's out there and they can use it as a recruiting recruiting week out in that out in that area wherever it is. Well, I will say that to your first point, our textures couldn't disagree with you more as really? to uh, there only being one SEC team they want to play. We got a lot of responses and it. Almost all that had to do with the SEC, but we'll come back to that in a second. I want to touch on something else you said first, which was finding an opponent that feels like it fits in with the Big Ten, which I think is an interesting concept because you're talking about a non-conference game, and there are non-conference games for a reason. There are sort of regional or conference identities. I feel like sometimes I feel like the SEC has one. I feel like the Big Ten kind of has one. Um, maybe not as much with the Big Twelve, unless you count maybe some disrespect for their defensive abilities yeah. uh, being an identity. And Pac-12, I, I, there is kind of an identity there too, I think. 
at least culturally and institutionally as much as athletically. Um, so why did you look for someone that you felt was very reminiscent of a Big Ten team as opposed to, hey, here's our chance to step out of our comfort zone, whether that's football-wise, whether that's um, culturally or academic – not really academically, I suppose, but just geographically, certainly. Why, why would you want to – wouldn't you want to, like – cross over and and step into kind of step through the portal into kind of another identity i think part of it is just to see what it would look like because, you know a lot of time with big 10 teams a lot of time it's not you know contractually a home and home situation situation unless they're in the same you know division then usually you know you pay penn state at, at home and then you pay them on the road and you play them at home and then on the road but just to see what certain things would look like if hey if you were playing this team on a yearly basis, even though you get two years to see how things would look if they played this team X, see if it, they would fit in, if they're, if they're playing against, you know, the, the cream of the crop of the Big Ten, you'll see where they fall into that. And I think that's an interesting thing to me than just some one-off of, oh, we're going to give you a game and then we're going to give us a game and then we're going to move on. So I, wanted to, I looked through some background to, to give people some perspective on – who actually gets what 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 non-conference games actually get played especially by teams that are in playoff contention or or aspire to playoff contention so um i looked back at all six years of the playoff steven how many and i don't know if you maybe you did this research too how many top 25 non-conference games in the six years of the playoff have the future playoff teams played during the regular season mm. Do you understand that question? Like how many non-conference yeah, 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 yeah. games against teams that turned out to be ranked in the top 25? Because obviously you're not – it's not like you're scheduling them right before the year. You're scheduling several right. years in advance. So how many of those non-conference teams, those non-conference games, were against top 25 teams? I would say 10, and I think I might be stretching it. Well, if you don't count the Notre Dame ACC games, mm -hmm. which I didn't, uh, because those are not – scheduled as non-conference games those are contractually no. obligated games but if you don't count those there have been 15 mm. and if you do count those it's 18 uh because clemson played notre dame in 2015 and in 2018 notre dame notre dame played number 14 michigan and number seven stanford in the non-conference and then also played number 24 virginia tech and number 12 syracuse so um a pretty solid schedule for 2018 notre dame which is one of the reasons why they ended up in the playoffs but so it's not uncommon I don't think people need to fear playing a strong team as part of the regular season, uh, especially if you're a, a team the stature of Ohio State. This past year, Ohio State didn't play any Power 5 opponents in the non-conference. They played um, Florida Atlantic. They played Cincinnati. They played Miami of Ohio. So no – and that was the first time um, – and I didn't – I stopped counting at some point, but that had been the first time in a long time that Ohio State hadn't played a Power 5 non-conference opponent. Um, part of that is because they played five home or five road Big Ten games. Um, so you can argue that that takes the place of playing a better non-conference opponent at home, I suppose. But um, really common for Ohio State to play at least one solid team um, in the regular season. In fact, I'm looking back. Um, 2018, they played number 15 TCU in addition to Oregon State. 2017, number five Oklahoma. 2016, 14 Oklahoma. Uh, 
2010, 12 Miami, 2009, three USC, 2008, number one USC, 2006, number two Texas, 2005, number two Texas, 2013 or 2003, number 17 Washington, number 24 NC State. So there's a, it, it, it's pretty regular that they will play either a team that is in the top 25 or a team that has the, the stature of program that is traditionally somewhere in that mix. There was a couple of years, you know, obviously they played Virginia Tech and lost at home to Virginia Tech in the year that they went on to win the national championship. So all of that background to kind of bring up a long-winded question for you, which is as you were considering this non-conference opponent, how much did either enhancing Ohio State's playoff resume play into it or how much were you wary of adding or assuming that Ohio State would be wary of adding too good of an opponent to potentially – create a stumbling block on getting it to the playoff. Yeah, I don't – I would probably lean more wary to creating a stumbling block for Ohio State getting to the playoff. Let's just take the 2000, you know, 2017 season, for example, with a loss to Oklahoma plus another loss to Iowa, and now they're out of – because now they're a two-loss team more than, like, helping their resume. Because I don't know if in the three times that Ohio State has made the playoff – they they haven't had a game on their schedule, you know. Obviously, they they beat Oklahoma in 2016, so it worked in their favor. But when they lose, it works against them. The other two times they got into the playoff, they didn't need one of those, you know, high level non conference power five non conference power five wins in order to get into the playoff. In 2019, Ohio State was just you know one of the three best teams in the country. And then 2014, they just got hot late and were the four seed. So it's only worked into their favor once, and it's worked. I think it's worked, and it's worked against them once as well. I don't know if that's so. I would lean more towards what could happen in 2017 than what could happen in 2016. Um, something else we should mention. I wanted to take a quick look. Uh, the, the upcoming schedules for Ohio State. Obviously, this year they are supposed to play at Oregon, and then Oregon's supposed to make a return trip in 21, 22, and 23, a home and home against Notre Dame. 2024 at Washington, 2025, as it's currently scheduled, home games against both Texas and Washington. That's a year, man. Uh, 2026 uh, at Texas and home against Boston College and 2027 at Boston College. So those are power five programs that Ohio State has scheduled through 2027. And they have a home and home with Georgia in 2030 and 2031. Um, so again, it, it last year is the outlier. Last year, there were other factors at play. And and in Cincinnati, I think also, well, and, and certainly where they ended up at the end of the year was a top 25 caliber program, top 20 caliber program or higher in some people's estimation. Um, so they were in that mix. It wasn't as if they didn't play anybody of consequence in regular season. It gets a little bit skewed because they crushed Cincinnati so bad on, on that day. I don't know if they – I think they probably beat them 10 out of 10 times. I don't think it's maybe quite as much of a smothering 10 out of 10 times. But um, So with all that background, Steven, who did you pick as your team that Ohio State should play if it had to schedule home and home? I picked USC. I was going to pick Notre Dame until I realized that they played them in 2023, and so I had to change my, my pick as I was making these decisions. That, but they were on the list as long as, as well as Oklahoma was also on the list. But I chose USC, and it's because of what I've already mentioned. You know, Ohio State has already started to make its way out west on the recruiting trail, and I think having an opportunity to get a home and home against – the team who should be the t premier team out in the West in the Pac-12, which is USC, obviously, you know, they need to get their act together. But I think that would only increase their chances of, you know, 
really taken over there, in Cal- in, especially in California, obviously in 2021. In 2021, they've got some Washington kids that they're still in on top 10 recruits. Obviously, C.J. Stroud and Court Williams are both California guys, Wyatt Davis as well. But So they've already started to make their way out there. And USC, I think, is a – even though they're not necessarily good right now, they're – historical enough of a program to where I think it's going to draw interest on both sides. Obviously Ohio State fans travel wherever they're going to go. It's, it's LA USC is still, you know, even if they're not good right now, USC is still, you know, an interesting name in college football, which is why it's a big deal that they're not good right now. But the most important factor there is just the recruiting and it'd be interesting to see what Ohio State can get accomplished when you add a home and home situation with a school like that. So the, the original question, and let, let me go find it because I, I want to make sure we give um, some credit here. Um, in fact, I want to credit the person who actually asked the question. So now let me take even more awkward time here on the uh, to find it. It was from the 937, I believe. Uh, Casey, Casey in the 937 was who asked the question because um, I had a little exchange with him. So, so thanks, Casey. Um, if OSU were looking for a top 15 team to schedule a home-and-home series in the future – what program would each of you pick to benefit OSU the most and why? Did you think at all, did you hesitate at all to call USC a top 15 program right now? Yeah, there was hesitation just because they don't have their, they don't, but historically they are a top 15 program. So that's how I looked at it more than just who's the top 15 programs right now. We did have a couple of other uh, texters who agreed with you. They also picked USC uh, from the 941 uh, national appeal and also California and Western exposure for Buckeye recruiting and also a win to maintain dominance over the Pac-12. Um, and from the 310, I know most will choose Alabama for the home and home or maybe Clemson, but I'll pick USC because of the recruiting exposure they get in such a talent-rich place and because I live in LA and I'd love to go watch the game in the Coliseum. I guess my points as far as the recruiting would be twofold. A, do they're already doing a good job recruiting the West Coast. It probably can't ever be the nucleus of what they do is as from a recruiting standpoint, but they need to to keep a presence out there. And that seems to already be there. And B, if you do need a West coast presence, why would you necessarily go right to maybe where the heart of the beast could be um, scheduling a a program that could, by the time you actually play the game, because you're scheduling this several years out, maybe by the time you actually play the game, maybe USC is a behemoth again. Why would you maybe stick your head in the lion's mouth like that? And instead of playing um, someone farther down the Pac-12 list who could get you the same Pac-12 hit, uh, West Coast hit, without having to play a program that, as you say, in theory, should be at uh, higher on the list right now. Yeah, I think because what we talked about earlier, if we're going to swing, we're going to swing here. We're not going to – you know, obviously, Oregon's probably the next best thing, and we see where Oregon – you know, Oregon's on the list now, and they're on they're on the schedule for this year. But if you're going to – I don't know if Ohio State's going to swing and then go for, you know, I'm trying, who's probably the worst team in the Pac-12 right now? This, this is Buckeye talk at its finest right now. We don't really – obviously, I, I just – I think if you're going to swing big and go West Coast, I think you need to go for the West Coast team. And that to you is USC right now. Yeah, yeah. Ohio State last played USC in 2008, 2009, at least as far mm-hmm. as a regular season game. Um, they It was not a advantageous time to try to play USC, I guess, unless you beat them. But that was it was a tough time to try to beat USC. They were uh, really kind of firing all cylinders back then. Um, and they have played 
they played Cal in 2012 and 2013 in a home and home. And then now they've got Oregon. So there, there has been a somewhat consistent West coast presence. And I think Ohio state also gets that presence a little bit because it expects to play pretty regularly in either the Rose bowl or preferably, I guess, for them, the Fiesta Bowl, although the Rose Bowl is also in that mix too. But they expect to be in those one of those two bowl games pretty mm-hmm. regularly. And they can also they can get some of their kind of West Coast uh their West Coast run by doing that. Yeah, but also, you know, in the world where the college football playoff exists now, I, the Rose Bowl is not the goal. And not even the Fiesta Bowl is not even the goal at this point. It just if it so, just so happens to be a year where those two bowl games fall within the college football playoff, then yes, you, it would be great to go to one of those cities. But in a world where that's no longer your goal, having that on your regular season schedule, a, a planned trip out to California kind of replaces what used to be the goal of win the Big Ten and play in the Rose Bowl. So I came down to two contenders, uh, one from the SEC, sort of, and one from the Pac-12. Um, neither of them were USC. Um, the, and the one that I didn't pick of my two finalists was Texas A&M. Uh, I basically, I wanted a program that had a top 15 um, pedigree, but I also, you also, I think, want a program that doesn't have top 15 results <laughs> year in and year out. Um, because... I think there is a point at which that can be counterproductive. Um, if, and, and especially if it, it gets tricky, I guess, depending on the year too. You're again, you're scheduling these things so many years out right now, Texas A&M I, the, at first, my at first glance to me, they, I thought, okay, that's, that's exactly the kind of team we're talking about. Um, but then I looked at the actual results. Texas A&M has been ranked in the top 10 in seven of the last 20 seasons. At some point in the year, they peaked in the top 10 in the last 20 seasons. They've been in the top 16 and 10 of the last 20, and then the top 20 of, at some point in the season in 13 of the last 20 seasons. In the last 20 seasons, how many 10-win seasons does Texas A&M have? I would say three. and One. Two can't. It won 10 win season in the last 20 years and only five times did they end the season ranked at all out of the 13 times the last 20 where they were at least in the top uh, 20 at some point during the season, but only, only a quarter of the time in the last 20 years, the Texas A&M end the season ranked. So I think Texas A&M is one of those teams that gets the benefit of the doubt. And it's probably from people like me, as much as anybody, people filling out their ballot that seems like a team that's supposed to be good. I mean, they, you know, they're in the SEC now. Texas A&M's recruiting brace. You got you know Johnny Manziel in your in your recent history. You got Jimbo Fisher there now, a national championship head coach, and they're not that great. They're basically Iowa, right? Like they're that eight nine win team that doesn't really live up to the national expectations. Now they're playing an SEC schedule the way that yeah, in Iowa or somebody doesn't have to, but but go ahead. But but still, just not – I felt like I disqualified them because I felt like it didn't live up to the spirit of the question, which is um, this team does need to be somewhat good. It can't just be a walkover team, and it can't just be a team that's fake top 15. And Texas A&M, if someone tries to say that they're a top 15 program, I think right now I'd say that they're fake top 15. Oh, they're fake top t- – because they're good at beating the teams they're supposed to get, but then they lose everybody you think they would lose to. 
And so whenever, you know, Johnny Menzel comes into the picture and all of a sudden you get that one win over Alabama and then Alabama comes in and rolls over you for the next seven years. So that's, they're the definition of, of fake when you talk about teams who beat who they're supposed to be, but then they also lose who they're supposed to be, lose to. So I didn't write off the SEC completely because obviously I considered Texas A&M. But I did factor in geography to my decision. And there's a lot of programs in the SEC that while they make sense in a lot of other ways, I, I don't know what Ohio State would necessarily gain from playing at Auburn. Um, although that made, that makes a lot of sense to me and we'll get to that in a second. Um, that was a popular vote from our texters and, and Florida as well. And I think Florida is compelling because there's a relationship there with Ohio state, whether it's urban Meyer, whether it was the, the basketball national championship, Florida uh, football national championship kind of uh, combo that they had going on there. Recent history of great presence with Florida, but I also looked West because I think that is an area where Ohio state, as you're saying, is trying to lay a foundation it's trying to well, – I think it's already laid the foundation. It's trying to grow that foundation. It's trying to have a real presence at getting the best recruits on the West Coast and it, you know, or being in the mix for the, the very best guys coming out of California, Arizona, Oregon, Washington. They're getting some of those guys. They've got other guys that they're still in the mix for from places like that. Uh, but I didn't go USC. I went with something – a team that I think is maybe um, – it, it, it maybe doesn't get maybe the national respect that it deserves. And I think it, it would be maybe a kind of a mutually beneficial series. I picked Stanford um, since Jim Harbaugh's last year in 2010. So his last year and then nine years of David Shaw, they've had six, 10 win seasons again, playing PAC 12, which I don't think had, doesn't get the same um, respect as the sec or the me, probably even the big 10, as far as being able to put together a 10 win season. But still means something to me. It still tells me that you're not having as many big dips. You can go out and you can win a lot of games consistently. So six, 10 win seasons and seven times that they've ended the season in the top 20. So I don't know how many people nationally, if you ask them the name, who are the top 15 programs in college football right now, I don't know how often Stanford's name would come up. I think they probably belong in that conversation. They've had some, some, some real highs at the end of, of, of Harbaugh's, time there obviously and I think they've with Andrew Locke too and then I think they've just consistently been in the mix for being the best team in the Pac-12 and being in the mix of national relevance now they haven't been a, a playoff team they haven't reached that level but but pretty consistently on, on any given year if Stanford finishes in the top 15 or the top 20 nobody's surprised by that because I think they think that it's a program that brings in solid guys and and there is it is interesting that you mentioned kind of the Big Ten correlation because they might be one of the big tennist Pac-12 programs, uh, either from their academic reputation, obviously. Well, the um, Northwestern of the Pac-12. <laughs> yeah, except yeah, that's 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 fair. I, I think, but right now, I'd say they're 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 a better football program than, than oh, yeah. Northwestern. And um, but there is there is some correlation there. Um, although USC, I believe, is also a private school, so it's Northwestern's kind of the outlier here. It's it's not necessarily the same way out out west. I think it they look at their colleges a little bit differently, but, um, I, and then also just kind of the way that Stanford plays football too. I mean, I think they're seen as a place that knows how to bring in and, um, develop positions like offensive line, tight ends, like those, that, it, it would just be an interesting style of, it wouldn't be necessarily a contrast of styles. It would be interesting to get a, a big 10 style of game potentially 
even though you're going out to the West Coast to play that game. But I, do, I did ultimately decide that I, I, I thought they should try to go to the West Coast because I think – and I was, I'm going to write about this on the site, but I feel like it's maybe – I've been holding off till we maybe get a better idea exactly what's going to happen with the Oregon game. I have a feeling they're going to – unless they go to an all-conference schedule, uh, they're going to try to find a way to play this Oregon game. It, and it doesn't necessarily have as much to do with money, although it does get, I think, dicey if – if Oregon has no fans and then Oregon comes to Ohio state next year and Ohio state gets the whole gate to themselves. We've, mm-hmm. we've kind of mentioned that before and it can get tricky, but there's a lot that you miss as a program by not being able to make these kinds of trips occasionally. And part of it is recruiting, but part of it is when you go and get these guys from the West coast, you know, we, we talked to some of these guys last year in Arizona. I remember talking to, um, you know, Vimahi who, um, whose family had not been able to see him play at this point I know he's still pretty young but they've never been to a game in person because they're from Hawaii um but they were going to be able to go to Arizona and and like see him you get to actually see your parents that week and like there's a lot of guys that they're pulling from the west coast from places like Idaho or or Washington or Oregon or Colorado like if you can throw them a bone once in their four or five years and get them a game out west and again, they usually do it through the bowl process, through the playoff process, but you can't bank on that. If you can get them another game out there, just give them one more chance for their families to be able to come see them a little bit more easily. That's not your primary concern. It wasn't the primary thing that I put on this list because I think the recruiting presence is huge, but I also thought that that was a reason to try to go West. So I thought it's interesting that we both look West coast, even though maybe we just both want to get on a plane and go, uh, go West. And see some football. Yeah, I think that's, that's what it is. I think it's for selfish reasons only. I think it's it's also pretty interesting to see how, how much we thought about this because as a fan, you're probably just thinking, I want Alabama, I want Clemson, I want Oklahoma. I want those guys so we can prove to the world that we are the best team and the best football program in the country. While we, we kind of thought about this and we both kind of, you know, tethered that line of, you know, playing a team where it's a, considered a quality win but not, you know, too good of a team to where it might be detrimental to our season, but also playing a team where it's a winnable game, but not too winnable to where it's actually hurting us in the long run, hurting Ohio State in the long run of, you know, say they have a one loss and their one conference win is against a team who's, you know, four and eight. We're going to get into what the Texters had to say because they looked at this in a completely different way than we did. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think you know where they're probably going. But we're going to come back from the break and get more into that. You're listening to The Daily Pod on Buckeye Talk. All right, we are back on Buckeye Talk. I asked our text subscribers, and and those of you who are subscribers, thanks again for for signing up. I asked this question to them, who, if you had to schedule a home-and-home with a top 15 program, who would you pick and why? And the most popular answer was – some version of some SEC team. They, some of them said, go get an elite SEC team. Some of them said, go get like a second tier SEC team. So basically take, I guess, Alabama off the top. And I guess right now you'd take LSU off the top, but I would maybe still put them in that second tier just because they had the one great season, but now they've got to regroup and do it again. Um, so I, I kind of took that answer, that second tier answer to mean just not Alabama, maybe not Georgia. Um, although Ohio State is going to play Georgia pretty soon. Um, so that was by, by far and away the, the most popular answer. And I thought it was interesting because, you know, I'm obviously still in kind of my 
still learning about Ohio State football and it's it's even its recent history. Steven, do you know the last time Ohio State played a regular season game against an SEC team? It's probably – I do not know that. I'm not going to try to guess. Let me ask you this. What year were you born? I was born in 94. Yeah, I was not on this planet when it happened. I'm, you were not on this planet. And I was, I believe – I'm trying to do the math. I think I was in fifth grade. It would have been the fall of 1988. In 1987-88, they played LSU in a home-and-home. Home. Uh, they had a 13-13 tie at number four LSU in 87, and they won 36-33 at home against number seven LSU in 1988. And that's the last time Ohio State has played a regular season game against an SEC program. They've played him in 11 bowl games since then. <coughs> 11 bowl games since then. And they're two and nine in those games, but they won two of the last three meetings against an SEC team in a bowl game. Steven, does that surprise you at all that this fan base is – well, actually, I guess I should just go ahead and say. Then when, I, when the, we start naming, like, actual teams, the top two vote-getters were Florida with eight and Auburn with five. And I think that kind of goes – they're trying to thread that needle that we were talking about of like a program that, okay, they're top 15, there's prestige. Um, it, maybe the top 15-ness and the, the prestige are, are warranted. Maybe they're not. Because I think they, as we get to some of these responses, it was people who were looking for, hey, this team is thought of as being really good, but maybe they're actually not that good and Ohio State wouldn't have that much to fear from them. But that's, that's overwhelmingly the votes were, when people were getting specific, they were, were those three ideas just some SEC team or Florida or Auburn. Does that surprise you that there was that much support from the Ohio State fan base to get an SEC team on the schedule? No, it's not. Ohio State fans hate the SEC. And they'll tell you that. Every, that's, that's a known thing at this point. They think ESPN has bias towards the SEC. They hate everything about the SEC, which is why in 2014, when Ohio State won that national championship, it was made so much sweeter that they went through Alabama to do it, the SEC of all SEC teams in order to do it. And a lot of that has to do with what happened against Florida in the national championship. Some of that has to do with what happened against LSU in the national championship game. But some of that is just Ohio State fans don't like the SEC. So I'm not surprised at all that there are Ohio State fans who want to beat up on the SEC. So I'm going to go to Casey, who gave us the question for his answer. Um, for me, I would choose between Florida and LSU. It would benefit Ohio State by having a top-tier SEC opponent to help their resume and also help them even more when it comes to recruiting the South. Scheduling a national power from the SEC has to be the answer, as it is always the best overall conference and always has deep recruiting roots in-state for Ohio State to compete against. My other motivation for this is being able to have another stab at these college football blue, buds, blue bloods head-to-head. -head. The last time we saw Ohio State play either one of them, they got crushed by Urban Meyer at Florida and Les Miles at LSU. Um, and, and I'm going to go into some other people who, who basically said some SEC team. Give us the SEC. We're, we're ready to play the SEC. Uh, from the 614, I'd really like to see a home-and-home -home with, with the SEC, specifically Auburn. I don't recall OSU playing Auburn anytime recently, and I'd like to win the Natty by going through Auburn, Alabama, Clemson, Penn State, Michigan, and Wisconsin. That would be pretty amazing. I'm not exactly sure how that schedule would line up. I guess – no, there's no way that schedule would line up. But – uh, but I appreciate your sentiment. Maybe if they went, if they go to an 18 playoff, maybe something like that would be on the table where you'd have to play Clemson, Alabama, and Auburn. But um, um, anyway, uh, from Smoky Mango in the 614, I would schedule any top-tier SEC program for the playoff era, Bama, LSU, Georgia, or Florida. 
Bama will never go for it, so you're left with LSU, Georgia, and Florida. This would benefit OSU, the team that has been left out of the playoff the most, by providing an inarguable reference point to SEC teams and their resumes. The committee could no longer argue a weak Big Ten schedule if, OS, if OSU had a Georgia-LSU-Florida win, especially if it was on the road. Plus, if it's a loss, it wouldn't be viewed as negative in the eyes of the committee. I push back on this a little bit because in 2017 and 2018, it wasn't Purdue, it wasn't Ohio State's weak non-conference record that was keeping no. them out. It was bad losses to Purdue and Iowa that kept them out of the playoff. Um, and yes, those were road losses. Um, but if if in those same seasons they also had gone on the road to play Auburn or Florida or Georgia or LSU in the non-conference season, I mean, I don't. You might have got to the end of that year and not been anywhere in the playoff race because you lose a close game to one of those teams in the SEC. If you still don't take care of business in the in the Big Ten, you're still on the outside looking. And you've got two losses. You're not even in the conversation. An example of that is their opponent for 2020, Auburn. I mean, I'm sorry, Oregon. Oregon lost to Auburn, but then they also lost a game to a, a conference game that they shouldn't have lost. Now, had they not also had the Auburn loss, they still had, would have at least been in the conversation to get into the college football playoff. Yeah, and I, I guess I still look at it as that is still more of a – it was still that Oregon didn't take care of its business in the Pac-12 – more than it lost the road game at at Auburn because no, you, I, I I think if if Oregon had played a bad non-conference game if they had had a walkover win at home and still lost the Pac-12 game they lost I I don't think they're the fourth team that gets in the playoff. Either. No, you're right, but the, losing to Auburn on top of the bad conference loss doesn't is all I'm saying is doesn't help your case. Do you think so? Do, does Ohio State need? in general to get sec teams back on the schedule in order to ever say that it is equal to the sec i mean we had this question on the pod a couple weeks ago about um will sec will will Ohio state ever have that kind of sec respect essentially will it ever be considered to be on that i think they're asking maybe about the big 10 in general yeah Um, the big 10 is not but ohio state i don't necessarily think they can't not cannot i think ohio state is they're not an SEC team, but, you know, they're viewed as one of the three best programs in college football, and that's with them, Clemson, and Alabama, which means there's only one other SEC program in the country that people think is better than Ohio State. So from that standpoint, I think Ohio State's, you know, reputation in the country is fine. Now, as far as the Big Ten, there's nothing that's going to happen that's going to help the Big Ten standing over the SEC. I don't care if Ohio State is putting SEC teams on the schedule every single year. It's, you know, like I just said, there's only one program in the country in the SEC that people think is better than Ohio State's on a year-in-year-out basis, and that's Alabama. So among people who were actually picking a team, which was the question we asked, how many votes do you – who who do you think had more votes, Clemson or Alabama? Alabama. Clemson which had – go ahead. Think my, which I think if – it's slow. I think if we did, if you'd asked that question prior to the Fiesta Bowl, I think it'd have been you know widespread. Alabama has the the voting favorite here. It wouldn't even be close. It'd be a wide gap. But because of what's happened in you know 2019 and 2016, I think maybe it's it's Alabama, but it's a little closer. Clemson received one vote. Nobody voted for Alabama. At least wow. nobody nobody who was specifically picking one team. 
Um, we did get, you know, there was someone like here in the 419. I'd love to play one Alabama, two Texas, three Notre Dame, four LSU, five Georgia. So they gave like a, I guess technically they're picking Alabama number one. So we can include that as, as Alabama's one vote. But even if you do that and you say that Clemson and Alabama combined had two votes out of, I didn't count them up, but, but many votes from our, our, um, from our tech subscribers this afternoon. Does that surprise you that kind of those two, the two other teams that we consider, you know, those are the top two programs and, mm-hmm. and Ohio state is right behind trying to like pull, you know, has its claw on the ledge and is trying to pull its way up. Like, do you, is it surprise you that not more Ohio state fans didn't want to go head to head with those two teams? Yes and no. Yes. Because it's still Alabama and I don't, you know, Ohio State fans feel the way they do about Alabama, but no, but also no, because maybe a lot of fans, a lot of Texans are thinking the same way we're thinking where it's, you know, why would we put this team on a schedule where, you know, we're going to have to face them in the college football playoff anyway. So if we're taking care of our business and doing the things we need to do, then Ohio State's going to put itself into a position where they're going to be playing Alabama or Clemson every year regardless. So there's no point to putting them in a home and home situation when you have to see them in the college football playoff. I think even more to the point, I think a lot of our texters are pretty savvy and they probably understand that that's not a game that's going to happen. Like it just, <laughs> it's, it's just I think yeah. they probably just looked right past it and said, yeah. well, this game's not going to happen. So let's move right along. Um, the, I think the real the, question is what's a top 15 program that's also, also reasonable to happen. Right. And I think that people look at what would be, why would it, is there more that a team would lose from a game like that than what they would gain from it? I mean, if you're, it, it, it's one of those games that when you lose it, if you lose it, and right now nobody expects to go into Alabama or into Clemson or into Ohio Stadium and beat them, even if you're one of those other three teams. I think those, those three teams have really kind of separated in that way, as we've talked about many times. So once you go in and lose that game in the years that you're playing the uh, away half of the home and home, if that makes sense, then you you have no room for error now. If we're if we're looking at a, a world with a fourteen playoff, you you there's no room for error. And if you think you're going into a season where you just already have an automatic loss and you're trying to be a playoff team, then you're you you're putting yourself in a position where you have to run the table with no other option. And I think all of those programs are probably hesitant to do that. Now, in a future where there's an eighteen playoff and there's a little bit more leeway and maybe you can get in with a second loss, a game like that might end up on one of these schedules. And I think it would be really interesting and, and good for college football if you could do that. Find a way, you know, play Clemson in Georgia, play or in Atlanta, I should say, or play Alabama in Dallas or something. I don't know. I mean, but just find some way to get on the same field as them. I, I, I see the value of that. But I think I see I, – I think I understand right now why that's not something that is on the table. I agree with that. In a world where there's only four spots, you can't put yourself at a disadvantage if you don't have to. So going to kind of what you just said, you know, find the top 15 program that is plausible. Florida was the single highest vote getter among people who are actually naming a team. Um, from the 317, I think Florida is right now is a perfect mix of SEC blue blood who still garners enough respect every year to be a top tier win for OSU. However, they're still slightly down relative to Alabama and Georgia. So OSU would be favored and reduce the chances of taking a loss. Um, I think under my logic, Auburn could be interchange interchange with Florida here. Um, 
and that's important to mention here because Auburn was the next highest team. I think Florida had eight votes. Auburn had five votes. So those every, nobody else had more than three. So those were the two teams that I think people – I think this fan base wants to play the SEC, but they don't want to play Alabama or they assume they can't. But they want to play a team that they – they want to win that they know will have some value. That there's no reason to schedule a game that – I think even more importantly, right, a loss that could have some value. If you go on the road and you lose to Auburn or Florida, or even if you lose to them at home in August or September, it's a game that can still have value for you. If you have the rest, if you run the table the rest of the season, that's not the loss that might keep you out of the playoff. You're right. Um, because of the level, of the, it's a one, it, that's a quality loss over, you know, you almost ask, you know, what's a quality loss over a bad win, basically. Evan in Oregon says, uh, I'm picking Florida, a solid SEC team that is undoubtedly on a lower tier than the Bucks. Uh, from the 216, Florida, there's some history from the mid-2000s and from Florida fans still mad about Meyer. It's a quality SEC program, good recruiting opportunity. Um, he also mentioned Georgia Tech, but I think that had uh, as much to do with just – I think he either he's in Atlanta or he wants yeah, – yeah, Joseph – sorry, this is – I should read the end of the text. Joseph in Atlanta. So he wants it to be in the home city. But I also think that's something that maybe you could, you could factor into this is – um, pick a destination for your fan base. You know, Atlanta would be a, a city that I think Ohio State fans would enjoy. Although, again, with the, the Peach Bowl there, it's something that they plausibly get to do every couple of years if they're in that playoff conversation. Um, looking at some other answers, um, Notre Dame was a popular answer. We had a handful of people who picked Notre Dame and a handful of people who picked Georgia. In fact, those were the next two highest vote getters. Good news, guys. You're going to get to make road trips to both of those places yeah. here in the, the very, well, the very near future for Notre Dame and, and farther down the line uh, from the nine one nine Notre Dame, it would be a Midwest rivalry producing lots of excitement and it would prevent Notre Dame from making the playoffs by taking an easy ACC light schedule. Although they are playing Clemson in 2020. Um, some other teams uh, from the four eight four Georgia, because then the bucks could beat up on them and you yo-yos wouldn't keep referring to them in the same strata as Alabama, OSU and Clemson. They only made the playoffs once. They're good, not great program. They won't even win the East this year. Florida returns to the top of the East. But then that that's what I think is interesting. Um, and I appreciate um, that we are sometimes yo-yos. And I was wrong last year about Georgia. I thought that they would be better, although they weren't that far out of the playoff conversation. And uh, it was this, again, kind of goes back to the conversation we were having between the Big Ten and the SEC because I think it's a little bit um, dangerous – Dangerous isn't the right word. But when you schedule these games six, seven, 10, 50 years in advance, whatever it is they're doing now, somebody could have scheduled a non-conference game with LSU 10 years ago or five years ago, mm -hmm. and it wouldn't have seemed like the kind of imposing, intimidating game that it turned out to be last year. Somebody who had to go into LSU as a non-conference opponent last year, um, if Ohio State had scheduled that game last year, um, would have been a hell of a game for the rest of us, but I don't know if it would have been the most prudent decision from a setting up a schedule to try to get to the playoff. And to that point of why, you know, to the point of you, they make these schedules, you know, sometimes 10 years out in advance. Part of why I picked USC is because of that. Yes. USC is not where it needs to be right now, but they seem to, there looks like they're starting to make some moves that are competent. So let's just – and there's always going to be a talent bet out there every single year in California. So let's just say, you know, six or seven years from now, USC has built itself back up to a program that's respectable and back to being, you know, the best team in the Pac-12 and back to being a team that's a top-ten team in the country. Well, because we're talking about a schedule that's 
10 years from where we are right now, that's now a quality game. It's actually the perfect game for what we're talking about. Uh, only one texter agreeing with me by picking Stanford's from the 408, uh, and they gave several reasons. One, similar academically. Two, showcase California kids. Three, bring the band and show Stanford how a band should perform. Four, programs that do it the right way. Five, um, schedule other sports to play Stanford that week slash weekend. And like the politicians do, use it as a bank deposit for fundraising. Um, so I, I appreciate that. that. That's looking at it from a lot of angles and finding a lot of reasons to, to play that game. Um, a couple other answers from the 440, Texas or Texas A&M. Ohio State would potentially strengthen their recruiting in Texas by a showcase series with one of these programs. Each brings their own drama. Uh, A&M, Jimbo Fisher in the SEC, Texas, the return of Tom Herman. Of course, by the time they get on the schedule, who knows what the coaches will be. And again, that's kind of what we're talking about. It's You almost want to pick a team that you think will be impressive and have a value for you, win or lose, because you don't know what year it's going to be. In fact, right now, we do know it's going to be. Probably the earliest a, a game like this would be played would be 2028. So you're kind of looking eight years into the future and saying, who is still going to be a, considered a top 15 program at that time? Or, I guess in your case, will again be considered a top 15 program and, and have value either way for Ohio State at that point? And then at that point, you're asking, you know, what, what teams are sustainable and what teams have coaches where this is maybe a stepping stone. So this obviously Minnesota is not a you know a non-conference team, but for, for the sake of making this argument here, you know, what, PJ Fleck is a, a, a Minnesota's example of a, put Minnesota as a non-conference team where PJ Fleck is obviously a coach on the rise here, but but Minnesota could be a stepping stone or he could be building something there. There's probably a you know a team out there in the non-conference schedule who has a PJ Fleck level of a coach where he could be building something there or he could be using that as a stepping stone to get somewhere else. And so right now that picking that team could be a, you know, a quality opponent just because they have the, the, you know, maybe they got next great college football coach, but what if he's just used it as a stepping stone and you schedule that team and now a game that maybe was a quality opponent when you first scheduled it is, is no longer that. Well, something to keep an eye on because I think, um, like I said, there's a gap right now starting in 2027. They've, they've, um, or 2028, they've, they've scheduled all the way up through 2027 as far as at least having one non-conference power five team so I think I'd be surprised if they add another big opponent in any of those seasons but we'll see because like I said there's the there's um the year coming up where they play both Texas and Washington or at least they're scheduled to at this point um and speaking of the schedule we are returning to our regularly scheduled schedule series on Wednesday um I talked today to Chad Lystico from the Des Moines Register he's their columnist but uh has been covering Iowa sports there for a long time. He's going to give us some insight into Iowa, which is the next game as we've been breaking down the Ohio State 2020 schedule here in the offseason. We had the bye week last week where we did kind of some catch-all stuff, and we're getting back on um, the Hawkeyes because they're coming to Ohio Stadium this year. Obviously, people remember what happened the last time Ohio State played Iowa, and that was the topic of conversation and, and what that means for Iowa as a program and, and Ohio State looks at it right now and uh, that and many other topics with Chad. So, uh, we'll have that. We'll have more. For those of you who are our texters, watch your text because I'll probably be hitting you with another call out for responses to something we're going to talk about on the pod on Wednesday. But for now, that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.